Welcome to Copyright Clearance Center's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Velocity of Content. It's Friday, May 20th, 2022. Today, as we do each week, we check in with Publishers Weekly on news from the world of books and publishing. Andrew Albanese, PW Senior Writer, joins me with his reporting and editorial analysis. Welcome back to the program, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. After a successful launch last year, Andrew, the U.S. Book Show is back. PW developed the online-only trade book show after Book Expo closed in December 2020. Yeah, that's right. The U.S. Book Show is back, and it will run from Monday, May 23rd, when the virtual exhibit hall and the galley grabs begin, through Thursday, May 26th. And those interested in attending can just Google U.S. Book Show. Uh, It'll pop right up, and the full schedule will be there. And if you haven't had a chance to register, please do and join us for three days of panels and author talks and PW editors' picks and book buzz panels all done in cooperation with publishers. Now, as for some highlights, we have a very timely keynote speaker, which I believe we talked about a couple of weeks ago briefly. Uh, On Tuesday, May 24th at 10.30 a.m., the U.S. Book Show kicks off with Ukrainian novelist and reporter Andrei Kirkov, who will open the show in conversation with my colleague Ed Nwaka. Now, we've talked a lot about the literary community's response to Russia's brutal attack on Ukraine, So you won't want to miss this opportunity to hear directly from Kirkov, who's a celebrated international writer and, we should point out, the president of Penn, Ukraine. Then at 11 o'clock a.m., immediately following Kirkov, my program, Libraries Are Essential, will kick off. And this is a full day of programming for libraries, which we'll talk more about in a minute. But I'll say I'm super excited for this year's program, which is scheduled to close with a keynote from U.S. Congressman from Maryland and best-selling author Jamie Raskin, who we'll talk about in a little bit, too, because the congressman yesterday held the second hearing in the last two months on this wave of book bans and educational gag orders that's sweeping the country. Among the U.S. Book Show's programming, we have a lot of great discussions. For example, there's going to be a discussion on what a healthy publishing industry looks like, uh, best practices for booksellers, how we're coping with the pandemic, which, as many of us are seeing now, is not over, despite as much as we would want it to be. There's going to be a host of international discussions, including a panel with my European trade publishing reporters, my counterparts overseas, ably moderated by one Christopher Keneally. Thank you for that, Chris. Uh, The show really does run the gamut, too, from adult fiction and nonfiction to kids' books and comics and graphic novels, university presses. Uh, Among the major authors presenting will be Mo Willems and Kwame Alexander on the kids' side and John Grisham and Celeste Ng on the adult side. And the editor's picks panels are really not to be missed, too, because they're going to really run down all the books you should be looking for this fall. And you have a program within a program that you produced and co-hosted, Andrew. Libraries are essential. Yeah, and again, I'm really excited for another day-long program dedicated to librarians. Our our registration is very strong again. Uh, It was a great success last year. It's looking even better this year. And this program is really meant to highlight the important work of libraries. Uh, And I should point out that the program is free for librarians. So if you haven't yet, please do register and join us. You know, at Publishers Weekly, we really do believe that libraries are more than just a marketplace for publishers, that they are a critical institution. And, you know, they deserved more than just a few panels about how libraries are, you know, spending their collection budgets. So when we started planning the U.S. Book Show last year, we really wanted to offer a look at the state of libraries as, you know, these vital institutions in our communities, in our democracy, and of course, in the reading enterprise. So this year, We have 30 guests who will join me over the course of the day with my co-host, former uh, Cuyahoga County Public Librarian and now PW columnist, Sari Feldman. 
Uh, we're once again sponsored by Overdrive, so I want to take a moment to thank Overdrive for making this program possible as well. And the show will basically be delivered in two blocks, like as it was last year. The morning will be uh, a talk about, you know, sort of the elephant in the room, right? We'll have a couple of sessions that will really look at the rise of book bans and other legislation targeting free speech and the freedom to read. Uh, we'll talk about, for example, the alarming trends we're seeing. We'll get some numbers. We'll also talk about the misguided notion of library neutrality. Uh, something that's underpinning a lot of these laws. And, you know, I'll explain that a little bit, you know, because libraries, you know, the feeling is among some people that they have to be politically right down the middle, which, of course, has never been true. Now, yes, librarians strive to be nonpartisan. That's absolutely true. But the library's mission is to serve all of its constituents. And that means everyone. And that requires libraries to pursue important equity, diversity, and inclusion policies, which certain political forces have now derided as woke and have taken aim at. But I want you to look at it this way. In many parts of the countries, for example, African-Americans were barred from the library for most of the last century. And there was nothing neutral or nonpartisan about that, right? And not taking a stand for the rights of all people, no matter their race or their sexual orientation, for example, well, that's not neutral, right? So we're going to talk about what it means for libraries to be neutral, why they're not neutral. We're also going to talk about the politics of this moment, what's really going on in the country, which is not always a comfortable conversation to have, but it's a necessary one. Now, the second block of the show will focus on some of the issues really sort of impacting libraries today, including how libraries are handling digital content in the state of the library ebook market, which we've talked about quite a bit on this show, uh, the safety and state of library workers. And finally, a really terrific discussion about leadership in libraries as we barrel towards this, you know, post-COVID world with the obvious caveat that while we may be acting like COVID is over, it's clearly not. This year, we're also going to have a lunchtime program. So we invite you to grab a sandwich and take 10 minutes and then come back and sit through a couple of data-driven programs, one from our sponsor, Overdrive, who's going to be sharing some numbers about their business and detailing sort of the spike we've seen in digital lending over the last couple of years. And there's a can't-miss session. I can't stress this enough. It's a terrific presentation from Portland State professors Kathy Behrens and Rachel Norda and a brilliant marketer named Sonia Thompson. They're going to share their survey results about millennial and Gen Z readers and how libraries and publishers can better reach them. Uh, you know, there's, I don't think there's any question that libraries really rose to the challenge of the pandemic. But in many ways, this post-pandemic future now bearing down on us is even more complex and even more challenging for libraries. So we're going to spend the day at the U.S. Book Show talking about exactly that, and we'll hope you'll join us. This week on Capitol Hill, Andrew, your program keynoter held a hearing on book banning and educational gag orders, the second in the last two months. Yeah, the hearing was led by Maryland Congressman Jamie Raskin, chairman of the Congressional Subcommittee on Civil Rights and Civil Liberties. And this one, the second hearing, focused on the committee's ongoing efforts to, and I'll quote him here, prohibit discussion in K-12 classrooms about American history, race, and LGBTQ plus issues, and to punish teachers who violate vague and discriminatory state laws by discussing these topics. Now, you can read our coverage of the hearing on the PW site. Uh, the hearing is also archived on YouTube and on the House Committee on Oversight and Reform Committee website, so you can watch it there. We have a link to that in the PW story, so you can just go check out the PW story, 
click on the link and then watch the hearing yourself. Uh, it's well worth watching. Among those who testified were parents and students and educators, as well as Suzanne Nossel, who's the chief executive officer of PEN America, and uh, one of my favorite authors, Timothy Snyder, who, of course, is the Richard C. Levin Professor of History at Yale University and author of the best-selling book on tyranny, 20 Lessons from the 20th Century. Again, you can read about the hearing on the PW site, so I won't say too much about it. But I do want to take a moment to make a couple of observations. And one is I thought it was notable that Congressman Raskin in his opening remarks brought up the Buffalo shooting. Uh, and he noted that many of these laws would actually prohibit teachers from sort of discussing the sick motives behind the shooting and what motivated the shooter without risking being fired. Uh, I find that to be a, a very disturbing development. Uh, Raskin also called these laws sort of the hallmark of authoritarian regimes, a point that Timothy Snyder built on. He talked about memory laws in Russia and, and the net effect they have and how these kinds of laws are simply incompatible with democracy. A lot of the testimony from the teachers and from the students was raw. It was emotional. It was It's really important. So I do urge you, if you have the time, to check in on the hearing and, and listen to what everyone had to say. And another thing I want to point out is that I'm not sure what the legislative aim of these hearings is beyond calling attention to these issues, which is certainly welcome. But I will say that the hearings, both of them, have had the right focus because proponents of these laws, which are now enacted in some 17 states, claim that they're meant to sort of promote parental rights and transparency, which you know, the hearing's co-sponsor, South Carolina Republican Nancy Mace, actually brought up in her remarks. In fact, she even accused schools and libraries of indoctrinating students, and she really dissembled about how COVID-19 and remote learning was a disaster and that public schools have to be accountable for that. But look, that's all a fig leaf. You know, was COVID tough on public schools? Absolutely. But what does banning the 1619 Project have to do with, you know, having oversight over how our schools are teaching. But look, like I said, this is all a fig leaf. These actions here are not about empowering parents because parents are already empowered. As you know, the, the, the parent of public school students here in New York City, I can tell you we have tons of input into our curriculum. No, these laws are really about stifling in many states and locales how schools educate children, what children can learn to bending to the will of a very small minority of political leaders. So we really appreciate Congressman Raskin's leadership on this. He has a real commitment to this issue. We you know, thank him for the light that he's shedding on this leader, too. And, and not only as a constitutional scholar and as a leader, but also as a parent and a staunch defender of democracy. Even as we await the final disposition of Maryland's library e-book law in a federal court, which has enjoined the law after holding it to be preempted by federal copyright law, legislators in Rhode Island have advanced their own library e-book lending law. Yeah, I think that, you know, it was widely believed that the action in Maryland was going to sort of spike all of these state laws. And to some extent, in other states, it has. But a remarkable development is the Rhode Island Senate Committee on Education on Wednesday refused to table their bill. And in fact, the bill was unanimously voted out of committee and it's now headed to the floor. So its future, I think, is still uncertain. Even should it pass, it's not exactly clear if the governor will immediately sign it or like Kathy Hochul in New York, veto it. But I'll say this, you know, the bill, which is just like Maryland's law, requires publishers to offer licenses to libraries on reasonable terms for works that it's offering for sale to the general public. So something to keep an eye on there for sure. And I'll say this, that the Rhode Island governor probably doesn't have the same pressure that Governor Hochul did in New York, should this bill reach the governor's desk. 
because the Rhode Island governor doesn't have the copyright industry uh, in the backyard there. So something to keep an eye on for sure. And finally, Andrew Ventress, who took over as director of the London Book Fair in 2020, is leaving just weeks after London Book Fair's comeback. Publish reports say he will leave this summer and don't offer details on why or who will replace him. Yeah, surprising news, I think. But at the same time, not surprising, right? And the fact is, we really don't know the details behind Andy Ventress's departure from the London Book Fair. There was a statement from fair organizers, RX, formerly known as Read Exhibitions, but you know they just trotted out the old leaving to take on a new challenge line. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> there probably is a story there. So Ventress took over from Jax Thomas during a very challenging time, right? And this was right in the wake of the COVID-19 outbreak. And he had a sort of a mandate, I think, from Reed to get the fair up and in person again. But in 2020, the, the fair was forced to go online only. And once again, it was in 2021 as well. But, you know, Ventress pulled off a return to London's Olympia this April And despite a ton of COVID cases from that meeting, the meeting was really a success. People had very good feedback about it, and it drew about 15,000 members of the international publishing community, which is down significantly from what the fair drew pre-COVID, but still pretty strong numbers. So, you know, we're going to keep an eye on this. And I'm glad you brought this up, though, because even though we don't know the story behind Ventress's exit yet, I think part of the story is surely the shaky ground in-person events still rest on as COVID-19 hangs around and as the world wrestles with, you know, what we want future book events to look like, what book fairs are going to look like going forward. And I think the spike in COVID cases going on right now is a prime example. There's still a ton of uncertainty. So, you know, there will be London book fairs in the future, right? There will be Frankfurt book fairs, and there's going to be more of every kinds of fairs, I'm sure, the, the book fairs of yesterday are going to come back in some form. I'm sure of this. But how we get there and what the fairs of the future look like, well, it's a difficult thing to manage. And I'm sure it's not going to be a straight line how we get there. Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly Senior Writer, thanks for joining me on the program. My pleasure, as always. Coming up on the next podcast from CCC, last Sunday, I hosted a panel discussion on the future of publishing as part of the 2022 Biographers International Organization Conference. My panel included Andrew Albanese, and we considered the pending Penguin Random House acquisition of Simon & Schuster, the antitrust case brought to stop it, and the ongoing concerns over industry consolidation in publishing. Mary Rosenberger, CEO of the Authors Guild, voiced her support for the U.S. Department of Justice lawsuit seeking to stop the PRH-SNS merger. I do think that the DOJ's complaint shows that it, it really understands that authors inevitably lose income when there's limited competition for their work. And that, you know, in turn impacts the reading public because fewer books are, or important books are written simply because At some point, authors can't afford to to write these kind of books. Publishing and Antitrust, coming on the next CCC podcast. Our producer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. You can subscribe to the program wherever you go for podcasts, and please do follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. I'm Christopher Keneally. Thanks for listening to this Velocity of Content podcast from CCC.